Welcome to all of you who are uh, participating in this presentation today. Uh, what I'd like to do is uh, ask the panelists to go ahead and give a brief little introduction. Uh, as for myself, uh, I've been practicing law for about uh, 39 years now. They added me to the group here to increase the average age. The uh, my practice uh, for the last 30 years uh, has included uh, pursuing and defending these type of claims. So with that, uh, why don't we go ahead uh, and uh, Alan, would you like to go next? Yeah, thanks, Jim. Uh, hi, I'm Alan or AJ Clark. Uh, I'm the manager of local solutions at uh, Badger Infrastructure Solutions, formerly known as Badger Daylighting. Um, and my job is, uh, Pretty much just to um, help people locate and map utilities um, across the US. Fred? Yeah, I'm uh, Fred Lesage. I'm a construction risk engineer with AXA XL Insurance. Um, my job primarily is to advise our uh, construction clients on best practices in the field, including um, buried utility damage prevention. Um, sometimes we assist in uh, response to claims events as well. Uh, Brian? Good morning. I'm Brian Tooley. I'm with Mitchell Engineering and uh, JSI, and uh, I am a project manager. We are putting a lot of fiber optic cable in the ground uh, from an engineering and construction perspective. Uh, have a good bit of experience in outside plant damage prevention and recovery and uh, have served uh, at the uh, One Call Center as well. And last but certainly not least, Tony. Morning, uh, my name is Tony Jorgensen. I'm uh, an attorney. I uh, worked with Jim at Hall Estill on utility damage claims throughout the country uh, for about 23 years. And, and uh, just recently, a couple months ago, took a a leap of faith and um, uh, started my own firm where I still do uh, utility damage recovery claims primarily um, and uh, have worked with with Brian uh, uh, for a long time uh, uh, on these types of claims. Uh, also have done some uh, defense of utility damage claims so hopefully can can add some perspective And uh, what I'd like to say is we certainly are not the be all end all on all of uh, this type of uh, investigation. So uh, we invite all of you in, in addition to asking questions to share your own experience with us. What we thought we would do is uh, try and divide this into some steps you can take uh, pre-damage that can well become a part of your investigation. Uh, if and when there is a damage, and I should probably say when there's a damage because uh, if is not really a part of the equation in this world, unfortunately. Uh, and uh, the second part of it is uh, once there is a damage, what step uh, do you take? So the, uh, the first question I would throw out to everybody is uh, uh, what are some of the things that you can do uh, pre-damage that will later become a part of your investigation. Uh, for example, training documentation, uh, a safety plan, photographs of the site, 
before any damage ever occurs. Who'd like to go ahead and start on that? Well, Jim, I can, I can. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'll go ahead and just um, say um, from an owner operator perspective, certainly, uh, or if you're using a locate service, uh, photographs after uh, locates have been performed, uh, typically taking those photographs as you arrive on site, how the site looked uh, when you arrived, then performing your locate and taking another photograph after that to document that locates have been performed. Um, permanent markers or landmarks within the photograph and your locate marks uh, is beneficial. Um, and then from a contractor perspective, uh, prior to any excavation, it um, it is a good best practice to take photographs of that site and of all the locate marks that have been uh, performed already. Has anybody ever seen a situation where uh, marks magically appear or disappear after uh, the uh, damage occurs? Yes, that will happen. You know, the one thing I the one thing I'd add to what Brian said is um, the retrievability of those photographs after after the fact and the ability to tie those back to um, a specific excavation or a specific area uh, where a damage event occurs is really important too. You know, we've we've had these situations with contractors who will go out and uh, uh, their their foreman or superintendent on the job site takes photographs. But then when the damage event occurs, well, that guy left the company and he's gone to work for somebody else. How do we get those photographs? How do we get access to those? How are they retrievable? Those are really important things to think about ahead of the uh, ahead of the event too. Um, where you store them, where you um, put them in such a way that you can tie them back to the work is, is critical in this in this uh, in this effort. Yeah, Fred, this is AJ. I would add that. Um... I agree with everything you said. Um, with the photographs, sometimes you just have a pile of photographs and you don't know really where they're from. A couple of things that you know we do is we collect some GPS data to go off the photographs. Um, and also uh, in photographs, there's several different um, software applications that you can get for an iPhone or, or any phone that give you a bearing. So when you have bearing and you have location, those photos become infinitely more valuable. Has anybody ever heard of the uh, the use of a photo log? Uh, the, the reason I bring that up is because a case may not go to trial until five years after the damage occurred. And uh, what's your chances of remembering what you actually saw in those photographs or what you're showing in those photographs five years later? Well, well Jim, you're stealing my thunder, but that's certainly something that, that I have promoted and recommend always is to uh, definitely document a brief description of what that photo is intended to show. Um, as you said, oftentimes claims are sometime after an event. So uh, absolutely, that brief description will enable you to recall what you were thinking, what you were seeing at the time of the photo. Yeah, and more than that, it's um, we get a lot of these uh, claims that come in where uh, 
utility will discover that there is a damage to one of their facilities and they go back to the uh, dig ticket history and say, well, who's who was digging here? And then they'll shotgun the, the claim out to anybody who had a dig ticket in that area. Your ability to show whether or not you were digging anywhere close to where the damage occurred uh, is important too. You know, we um, sometimes you call in a dig ticket and the footprint for that dig ticket is much larger than the area that you actually excavated. And, you know, we've seen claims come in from utilities where the, the damage is uh, 500 feet away from where the excavation took place. So again, that's another piece of that uh, retrievability. So when that claim comes in five years after the fact, can I show where my crew was digging on that project on that day related to that dig ticket? Um, all of that will put you in a position to be able to defend yourself um, uh, from the claim. Well, photographs are obviously important, as we've all said there. Uh, one picture is worth a thousand words. Uh, that's why lawyers uh, don't like to have pictures because they'd rather use a thousand words. But uh, in addition to the uh, the importance of the photographs, are there any other documents that you're going to have uh, before a damage occurs uh, that you want to make sure you preserve? One that comes immediately to mind are the uh, uh, the locate ticket that you get from the one call center. What's the importance of that? How can that be used? Well, for one thing, it established. Yeah, yeah go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay, sorry. Uh, I say the the tie that if you're a locator or acting on behalf of an owner operator, you're gonna have a one call ticket. Tie tie that information, the photographs. Um, and it potentially even your locate contract back to that, you know, take it somehow in your database. And if you're an excavator, you know, you're also going to have a ticket, but you're also going to have, you know, a contract and an invoice. So when you look at like how you organize your information, really at the end of the day, you're going to have some sort of statement of work, some sort of, you know, and you're going to have some sort of invoice. And so tying those things together can be really helpful because when you have to go back in time, it makes things a lot easier. How about having a plan in place to respond to a damage? Uh, one thing I uh, always come back to is having one person in charge uh, who coordinates the efforts. Uh, as an attorney, if I'm uh, uh, looking at a claim, I'd like nothing better than to have uh, 11 people talk to me uh, because you wonder if 10 of them were at the same site together. Uh, do you guys have any recommendations with respect to uh, uh, how you prepare to manage a damage if and one occurs. Well, certainly training uh, should be provided. Um, typically, you know, a first responder on site is going to be that person who collects the majority of the dam of the data, perhaps. Uh, oftentimes you may not have an investigator who can can make it on site. So training to have those first responders uh, capable of capturing all the information is critical. Jim, if I could just step back one time with regard to the one call ticket that we're documenting and having in advance, uh, it is certainly important um, to for our excavators to review that ticket, confirm all of the uh, 
entities that have been notified have responded out on site. So if you are keeping your 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 documentation, um, that is another best practice is to review the entire site for all of the markings that have been made and actually check off and ensure that each person or each entity that has been notified has responded to that locate ticket. So uh, again, when we're talking about training uh, prior to the event, that is something that the project foreman should absolutely be doing before they ever start to dig out there. Yeah, the other thing uh, ahead of the accident that I think we ought to think about too is um, photographs of successfully executed work. So if you've potholed a crossing, for example, and you can show that uh, you safely crossed another line uh, at your pothole uh, with photographic evidence, that's valuable. Um, if you have uh, open an excavation, that you can show that you've properly supported the existing uh, infrastructure that you've uh, found during your excavation. All of those things that establish that you did your job the right way are, are valuable when it comes to defending claims. And uh, accident or no, that's valuable. Building on what Fred just said, when you take a picture of a pothole, uh, you take a picture of something, uh, one of the things that uh, we come across with photographs all the time is perspective. You know, that fish I caught was that big. Brian, you've got something there, I think, that uh, is very helpful both uh, in taking the photographs that Fred just described and also uh, some of the photographs we'll talk about uh, later on once a damage does occur. Well, certainly, Jim, you know, the old adage is, hey, that's a great picture of a hole. <laughs> you know, we again, this goes back to training. Um, any any owner operator and contractor, they should be training their uh, people out in the field as to uh, what photos to take, how to take good photos, uh, and really tell a story with those photos. So we want to take a picture of an entire site. We want to include permanent landmarks in those photos. We want to be sure that we do get um, locate marks uh, in the photos. And Jim, I think you may be referring to the, the field ruler that I showed you guys a few minutes ago, so a visual. But uh, this, this type of uh, uh, tool shown in photographs is often important, but uh, again, we don't want to just take a picture of one hole that shows a big black bottomless pit. We, we really need to be telling that story with our photos out there. Hey, I would just add, you know, I would just add, you know, with the with the photos and and, and this goes equally for uh, pre excavation as uh, you know in, in the event we have a damage and you do an investigation after a damage. Google Earth is an invaluable tool um, for. I mean, if you know, Jim mentioned earlier a, a photo log. Um, one of the best ways to to visually represent what your individual photos are 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 showing is um, you go on google earth and plot where you took 
photo one from your perspective, where where it is in relation to the entire project or the entire locate, and just say, you know screenshot or save that information along with your um, you know however you uh, package your your pre excavation um, uh, um, I guess site review. Just include that Google Earth, Earth photo with a with a you know a, a a diagram showing the 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 area the locate and where your locate pictures were taken. Um, lots of times it'll be easy to um, dovetail that information with with the information Alan was talking about earlier with your GPS coordinates. Um, but but Google Earth is a is a really valuable tool both pre damage and post damage. Before we leave the topic of photographs, uh, we've got a question here from our participants that I think is probably directed to Alan here. And that question is, uh, why can't the pictures a locating company takes be given to the excavator before the excavation starts? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. They certainly can be and they should be. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I'd add even more to that. Um, you know, we do a lot of private locating, so our stuff's a little bit different. Um, but any communication that's had between the excavator and the locator will prevent further damages, right? And photographs are a wonderful way to communicate. But um, even just picking up the phone, if, if it's possible, and I know there's the line of communication isn't always there, but yeah, it's, it certainly can. I see in the notes that there's ticket management systems that you can use that you can attach photos to. In my opinion, they should absolutely be um, shared. Getting them there can be a challenge, you know, depending on logistics. But yes, that's a that's a definite thing that would help. And maps well, and drawings, by the way. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I was just gonna. It, what about you know? So many um, operators are are using um, contract locators. Um, you know, I could see a situation where. Uh, an excavator is out in the field, um, has has questions or 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 concerns about you know a certain company's markings. Um, how does how does that excavator know, you know, in the case of a of a contract locator, who is locating for a particular utility? Um, you know, sometimes that might be a, a a hurdle in the in the communication. Um, you know, it, maybe it's as simple as as calling the. You know, you've got your locate ticket, and it's got you know X number of members that were notified, and and you know, it just seems uh, it seems like a, an unnecessary burden to put on an excavator to to start calling down the list to figure out whose marks these are and and who located them. Um, it. I mean, does anybody have any suggestions about how to, you know, I, I agree with you, Alan. I mean, communication, particularly before damage is, avoids 85, 90% of damages. Um, uh, any suggestions about how to, uh, how to remove that, that impediment? I don't know. I, I'm just throwing it out there, right? Uh, yeah, somebody, I think. Um, oh, go ahead, Fred. Please. No, that's all right. Go ahead, Alan. You probably get direct information, right? Oh no, um, but I was going to say, um, 
uh, as far as the burden goes, I think I don't think a lot of excavators might necessarily call on the contact information on the one call ticket. I think the, the frustrating part is when the information on the one call ticket leads to a dispatcher who's in a different place, who's not the actual locator. And that's ultimately up to, you know, the owner operator and or the the uh, contract locate company acting on behalf of them to just try to have a little bit better contact. But on the other hand, then this is going to cost more money. I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Is the, but maybe the, is, is the better, I mean, can, can, can that all happen through the, uh, the one call center, the one call notification? Uh, you know, an excavator has questions about a particular uh, set of markings and, and use the, I mean, that, that's essentially, I mean, I, I don't mean to, to generalize too much, but you know the the one call centers that that kind of medium of a, of exchange um, is is probably the best um, uh, the best uh, the best go between between excavators and, and and locate companies or operators with respect to to what's going on before damage. So. Um, you know that that might be something um, that that might be best done through the one call center, and, and of course, then if you and if every if all the the communication or the bulk of the communication um, uh, went through the one call center, we you know clearly have documentation of it, which was you know something we were talking about earlier as as being super important um, after the fact. Yeah, I think it's evolving. I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago. There wasn't even any positive response, right? And right. now there is at least pos positive response almost everywhere. And someone at Susan in the chat there wrote, uh, it'd be great to have a two-way positive response. Wonderful idea. And also there are um, one call centers um, that do allow the locators to attach tickets. So it's it's improving, evolving, I would say. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We've got a question here that I want to throw out to Fred because I think this dovetails with some of the things you said earlier, Fred. Uh, and the question is, we complete uh, 300 sites per week. To keep a database of all these sites this would be a nightmare. And then the, uh, the I'll address a corollary of that question to uh, Tony. Uh, what's the nightmare for an excavator if you don't keep information and a damage occurs? Uh, other other than uh, seeing me and Tony in court, so Fred, why don't you go ahead? Well, the one the one thing I would say is um, uh, there are a uh, a number of software providers out there uh, that have cell phone apps that you can take the photos inside of and tie it back. Uh, that way, it doesn't really make it much more difficult for you to take the photos in the field. It organizes it for you and makes retrievability more practical. Um, it's probably not perfect, but at the same time, it's much better than trying to take a set of photographs, create your own file system, and try to establish, like uh, the questioner was saying, about 300 files a week on where you're going to keep this stuff. Um, there are, like I said, there is some technology out there that makes this a more practical uh, exercise. Uh, I just, I, you know, I just add to that. I mean, uh, 300, 300 a week is is uh, a volume at which 
it, it makes sense to invest in that type of software. I mean, and, and, and honestly, the, the, the technology with, with uh, artificial intelligence and, and the ability to customize software um, to, to, um, uh, for, for custom workflows and processes, if you've got a workflow in place, this is the way we do it every time we, we, we you know, we call in to locate, we go out there and do a site review, you know, uh, within within two hours of our site review, we've we've sent out um, um, notifications or or, or um, uh, inquiries to each of the uh, potentially unmarked facilities. Um, it, it, you know, it's a process and, and it can be automated. Um, so, you know, and at a level of 300 a week. I can't think of a good reason not to make that. Yeah, you, you have to remember that those 300 a week, that's 300 opportunities a week for uh, for a damage claim to come in, even if you do your job perfectly. Because like I mentioned earlier, the utilities are not shy about trying to recover losses from anybody who had a dig ticket anywhere close to where uh, their excavation took place. So every one of those is an opportunity where you're going to have to defend yourself, even if you do everything right and you don't hit anything. And it's not just uh, the utilities that will come after you. Let's let's presume that you damage a gas line and you start a fire, or you damage a gas line and you don't realize it, and the gas seeps into a home or a business, and then there's a fire or an explosion in the business. Uh, you know how many millions of dollars can that claim uh, rise to? Uh, in addition to the the horror of somebody being killed or seriously injured. It, the the cost of a single claim that doesn't go uh, your way, or the cost and the in, the increase in your your insu insurance premiums. Uh, I mean, you know, contractors need to have coverage to be out there, you know, on on railroad and, and DOT rights of way, and 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 claims increase the the cost of that coverage and and it also decreases your your ability to to um, procure the that type of coverage in in the future those costs uh, i haven't sat here and, and and run the numbers but those costs it just seems to me um would clearly offset whatever cost um uh, you needed to invest at the front end to um, to develop, uh, to, to buy software if you need to, to develop software if you need to, um, uh, to, 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 to track these claims and, and, and make sure that, that all your T's are crossed and I's dotted uh, before the, the backhoe shovel goes in the ground. Well, I think we've had a, a pretty thorough discussion of things we want to do in advance uh, uh, that will come into play later on if there is a damage. So let's move on to the next uh, step of the uh, discussion today. Uh, a damage has occurred and there's been a utility line damaged. Um, what do we want to do uh, immediately when that occurs? And let's talk first about the uh, uh, before the damage even begins, the safety of the people on the site. Uh, if you hit a gas line, what would you do? If you hit an electric line, what would you do? 
Well, one of the, one of the things that I, I will say frequently doesn't happen, and we've seen um, events get much worse because of it, is uh, if you hit a gas line, you're required by law to call 911 immediately. And a lot of people don't do that. They call 811 and tell them, hey, we think we hit a gas line. Maybe they'll call the utility. You need to call 911 and get appropriate emergency responders on the scene as soon as possible. Um, there may be a need to evacuate spaces and, and those authorities need to be there in order to do that. So that's the one thing I would say that if you're going to train people on, do that one first because uh, um, you, you have the potential for it to be a, a much worse event, much worse than just property damage if, uh, if you don't do that. I'm going to add a personal anecdote to that. Uh, the first claim I ever did was a gentleman who rammed a front end loader into the side of a 36 inch high pressure gas line. Uh, he lived for 10 days with third degree burns over 90% of his body. So if you hit something like that, shut your machine off immediately. Because what happened with him is the engine was behind the uh, the place he was sitting on the machine and it sucked the gas over him and into the machine when the fire started. So, uh, you know, shut it down. If you're uh, in an electrical, uh, you hit an electric line, uh, don't get off the machine because you can have a field around your machine where you can get electrocuted if you step off the machine, uh, which may well be grounded while you're sitting there. So, make sure people are prepared. Uh, in situations like that, so you don't wind up with a claim from your own uh, employees or contractors. Uh, we're going to take a step back here for a minute. Uh, Fred, I don't know if you can answer this or not, but somebody's asked, uh, uh, do you have a, a name for the app you were discussing? Um, <laughs> I'll tell you, I would say Google is your friend, and uh, I, I, I'd like to shy away from endorsing any one over any other. Um, there are a number of them out there, and um, they have different features. So let I, let me just say that that's probably the best way for you to find it. I'm sorry, I'm not going to answer that directly. Okay, now you sound like a lawyer. I do. <laughs> yeah. I admit well, we'll it. I've hung around enough lawyers in my life, and it's starting to rub off on of me. Well, Jim, if, if we go back to, you know, what do we want to do after it is safe to uh, investigate the damage? Of course, we want to uh, make the site safe before we do anything else. But uh, that first responder to the scene of a, say, fiber cut or other utility damage, I think again, training in advance uh, is is well worth and and really required to uh, effectively defend yourself. Uh, again, either from an owner operator perspective uh, in a damage recovery uh, scenario or the excavator in proving that, as Fred did earlier, they did all as Fred said earlier that they did all the right things. So again, training your field personnel um, is critical. The other thing is to, as Tony said earlier, have a process in place where you do the same thing each and every time you go out. And I think the one thing that's, that's important with that is having a form to complete. You know, the, the, dirt field form is out there available 
and uh, it can be modified to to suit uh, any particular needs. But it, you know, have a form out there that your investigator or first person on site, that's what they're completing. It should have all of the information that you need to capture uh, in order to document, investigate, and then process a claim. Building on what Wayne said with the use of a form and an investigation, uh, can any of you discuss the importance of uh, including facts in those reports as opposed to including opinions in those reports? Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll just jump in, Jim. Um, yeah, obviously, uh, you want to include facts, objective data. Nobody really cares about your opinions or your your colorful language about about uh, what went out on out there in the, on the site when you know when when tempers were high and so on. Um, you know uh, uh, what might seem appropriate and, and, and even um, humorous at the time uh, certainly is not going to look that that way uh, a couple two or three years from now when you're um, sitting in a in in the hot seat in a deposition answering questions about about your uh, uh, you know snarky remarks in a in a report. Um, but I'd, I'd also add about reports. I, I think reports and, and, and forms, um, you know, damage investigation forms are excellent. I mean, and, and, and to the extent that you can attach your photos, your locate tickets, your Google Earth, um, I mean, all of the all of the documents and, and you know, and some types of documents or items are going to be pertinent in, in some um, uh, claims or damages, uh, and and not in others. Um, you know that ability to be flexible is great. But it, the, I mean, just as a practical consideration, nearly every locate company out there, and and nearly every uh, operator out there has some sort of a, a a damage investigation form. My only my only aside to those forms or those incident reports is um, give some thought to how the person, and, and, and this also goes in with the, the training, but give some thought to how the person completing that form might read some of the, some of the inquiries. For example, I, I've seen, um, you know, utility owner forms that they have a they have a field in there that says, um, uh, you know, were, were the marks accurate? Yes or no? Check the box. What was the distance between the the mark and the damage? I think probably most people on this call understand what they mean is what's the horizontal distance between where the damage is and where the closest mark is. But the way that form is written and, and that I mean, this is I'm not making this up. This is a real form that that I've had to deal with lots of times because the person going out there uh, to investigate the damage looks at that 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 field and says, well, you know, the marks are kind of destroyed around where the damage occurred. Um, so the closest mark was the next 
you know, was 20 feet away in, in its horizontal. Well, that's clearly not what the what the, the form is intended to uh, the information that the form is intended to gather. And, and it causes problems down the road where, uh, you know, again, we're in a deposition and, and the person that completed the form is 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 uh, sitting on the in the in the in the hot seat. And the attorney says, well, you say right here that the, the marks were accurate. And, and here in Florida, we've got a 24 inch tolerance zone. But um, you say that the closest mark was 48 inches away. Um, it, it, it just it's not worth the time and effort to have to uh, backpedal and explain that later. If all it, if, I mean, adding the word horizontal what was the horizontal distance between the the damage and the and the closest mark in that form itself would have would have avoided that that issue altogether. So I mean that's my only aside is is, is yeah. if you're going to use forms and in incident reports, make sure that they're designed to gather the information you're trying to get. Yeah, Anthony, how you can do that is you just have your you know your target line and then like pictures of pin flags on a diagram and then just leave a blank and the person fills in that blank so it's like a diagram as opposed to you know um having it in words yeah absolutely right people get very confused you know regardless <laughs> of uh, so maybe that's regardless a of what regardless of what form you use and uh, or how you document it um people don't think about this but you know you hand this form to a, a guy after he's um hits them or he pulls it out of his file it might be the first time he's ever looked at it. You really need to train him at some point on how to properly complete that form, especially in this environment where um, uh, I think it was Jim said earlier, it, it's not a matter of if, it's probably a matter of when that, that you're going to have a, an event at some point that you're going to need to document. And, and so taking the time to explain to a, a foreman or superintendent or whoever investigates um, the incident, um, how you want that documented and what the various uh, fields in the form are intended to capture uh, could be very useful to you uh, when you're trying to formulate a defense later. Yeah, exactly. That that's exactly my my point, Fred. I I agree. Building on what Alan said, uh, let's talk about the importance of a diagram. Uh, you can uh, use all the words you want, uh, and as Tony said, they can be confusing. Do you mean the marks were were uh, within the tolerance zone, but they were 10 feet away because the marks immediately uh, next to the damage had been destroyed. Do you mean that the closest mark was 10 feet away and thus eight feet outside the tolerance zone? Uh, how does a diagram help to uh, uh, eliminate some of the problems or at least uh, ameliorate some of the problems that Tony was describing when you uh, just try and describe it verbally? How important is making a diagram of what's out there? Well, I always well, say a picture's worth a thousand words, whether it's a photograph or a diagram or some combination thereof. Um, it's much, uh, it's much more difficult to uh, misconstrue what somebody draws or, or takes a picture of than it is to to parse their words. And um, yeah. The problem you get into with just words, too, is there's vernacular that people use in the field and, and slang that's used within certain industry groups in certain parts of the country that may not align with what everybody else uses, too. So trying to, to clarify what you mean is 
Um, you can do that much easier in a, in a sketch. A markup of a Google Earth drawing, like Tony suggested earlier, too, is a great idea, too. How about taking the photo? Yeah, I would say just annotating. I'm sorry, Brian, go ahead. Oh, it was me. I'm sorry. It was AJ. But um, I would say just use the tolerance zone diagram provided from the local one call system. And then where it's got the 24 in there, just leave that part blank. You're all set. The work's kind of been done for you. Have you have you all come across situations where somebody takes a photograph and then they they annotate on that photograph? Uh, does that work as well as a diagram? Is that something that uh, you can do in lieu of a diagram? Uh, just uh, taking that photograph and annotating it. Yeah, I think as long as you still have access to the unmarked up photograph, uh, sometimes the markings on the photograph will obscure uh, details that you might want to, to show. So um, having a clean photograph and a version that's marked up, I think that's, that's certainly uh, a reasonable way to approach it. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, we use we use um, um, frequently. I, I don't know what what the official word is. I call them storyboards. Where you know, it, particularly in a in a in a case where there's a question about um, was the facility marked prior to the damage, or um, where were the marks um, post locate as opposed to prior to the damage? Because you know, uh, construction activities frequently wipe out marks. Um, you know. Again, I mean, it's I, I'm probably not the uh, the technology expert in in this room, but you know, I can put two photographs right next to each other, and and make the annotations between the two of them. I mean, here's the post locate photograph shows the the marks before any excavation occurred, and here's the here's the damage photograph with with Brian's ruler and you know and the and the damage pedestal in, in the photo and just draw the lines. I mean here's where the damage occurred. Here's where the here's where the, the mark was prior to the damage. Um, you know that that type of, of tool is is very useful afterwards. And what as far as what do you want to photograph when you're out there at the site as opposed to just uh, taking a picture of everything that's out there and uh, what what are the what are the things that are most important in your experience to photograph well you definitely want a close-up of a damaged facility and nothing else uh, i'm just kidding um, I, I can't tell you know I'll, 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 you know you'd be looking at a file after a damage and and half the photos in there are of uh, you know a spaghetti looking um, uh, colorful tree root with no perspective no no um, I mean it could be anywhere it could be in Washington State or 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 in the Everglades um, obviously I, I I guess my my two second training on on what photos to take and how to take them start you know some distance away and then close in and then uh, ron peterson um who does uh you know a, a lot of work uh and and i use him as an expert in 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 a lot of these cases he's got a really good um 
training session about photographs and what photographs to take. And, and the idea he uses is kind of um, based on a clock. Uh, you kind of go around, you take a photo at, at 12 o'clock, two o'clock, four o'clock, that gives you the, the entire perspective all the way, all the way around, whatever it is you're trying to show, either, either the damaged location, um, if you back up, you know, you can clearly get the, 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 the landmarks, the, the street signs, the, you know, the, 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 the wings from the bridge, what, whatever it happens to be. Um, anyway, that, I, I think, one of the things, I think, uh, one of the things that we've struggled with sometimes, um, in defending claims is we have a, uh, we have a good photo of the area uh, as it was marked before the excavation began. And then the damaged photos don't show the same angle uh, of, of the, the photo from uh, from the pre-excavation dig. So trying to explain where the damage is in relation to where the marks were can be complicated when you do that. So uh, I would say if you could come up with a photograph that's very similar to the angle that was taken uh, prior to excavation starting, that's uh, something you'd want to do. The answer, I mean, it, I, you know, if a if a uh, if a, a a locate contractor, for example, is taking post locate photos, um, and then a, a representative from the utility owner is taking the damaged photos, um, which which frequently occurs, I, I think that situation that Fred described is a lot more um, uh, prevalent, where you have photos of the same area that are hard to to match up. I, I don't have an easy answer to that one, but um, more photos is better than less. Um, uh, at least you gives you a, a, a little bit more um, ability to 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 choose. if you have two or three damaged photos and um, it, it's hard to sometimes get that uh, that 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 match up. Brian, would you hold up that ruler again? Yeah. What is the what is the importance of using uh, something like that ruler Brian is holding up in your photographs? Why do you, why do you want to do that? Well, again, I think it documents uh, my my thing is that we would always put this out, include it in the photo. It does give perspective. It's large. It shows uh, uh, what the dimensions are. And uh, as Tony suggested earlier, and as what is the key to most damages is documents the distance from locate marks to actual location of damage. Now, sometimes that location of damage may be hard to include in a photo. So you might have to use a range rod or a shovel or something to uh, measure against. But again, I think the field ruler does, uh, you know, it provides the, the evidence per se of, of what you're trying to show out there. And Good perspective. Uh, you can use a tape measure, uh, but the, when you're doing it, what I would suggest is you take one from far away and then you take close up of the mark on the tape measure because uh, uh, un unlike that rule that Brian has, uh, one of the, the drawbacks of a tape measure is you can't read it later on. So, well, let's 
talk a little bit about uh, the documents that you want to collect uh, when there has been a damage to defend yourself. What, what are you looking for? What, what things are important to preserve? Well, a lot of things are going to be maintained by others. The, the, the original dig ticket is uh, certainly useful. Um, we don't often think about uh, employee training records, probably, but that's something that could be valuable too, to show that you've trained people uh, uh, on, the, on the appropriate practices. Um, if you have something like internal procedures, those are useful too, um, showing that you adhere to the, your own uh, internal guidance. That Those are valuable things. Yeah, I would add the SOW. Go ahead, Alan. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I would just add the if, if there was a um, like a statement of work, you know, what was supposed to happen, does that what actually was performed? Because that can be a big difference. Jim, Jim, one thing that you uh, always hammer on and, and reiterate, uh, preserve uh, the facility that was damaged. If it's a cut table, you know, uh, preserve the ends of the cable from the site. You know, perhaps it's a it's a pipeline that's got tooth marks in it, but that uh, that damaged facility itself is also uh, important for to preserve. Uh, I could probably list about 50 um, categories or types of documents that 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 come up in 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 one or the other of these types of claims, but um, you know, I think it was it's probably consistent with with what Alan was alluding to earlier. Lots and lots of the of the damages that 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 I get um, or litigate happen on on DOT rights of way during the course of a construction project. Um, I always get those plans. Um, you know, the plans are are useful for you know, depending, I mean, some of them show depth, some of them show the facilities on the plans. If, if somebody, you know, is later uh, saying, hey, look, we didn't, you know, we didn't have any idea that XYZ utility was out there. Or, These are your plans, it's right here. Um, uh, you know, it, and, it, you know, it'll show you what the scope of work was, what, what, what depth was, what, where was the cut line? How deep were they intending to go? Um, was it reasonable under that in that situation to to expect a, an excavator to uh, to pothole, for example? I mean, if if we've got facilities shown on a on a on a plan that are uh, 30 feet deep, and and the excavation just requires some some surface grading, um, you know, remember it. You know, when you, when at the end of the day, if you're in a lawsuit, the, I mean, the standard. Um, that you're going to be a judge by is is what would a reasonable person do under these situations in in these circumstances and and, and sometimes um, uh, you, you know some of that's going to be dependent upon the the circumstances so the the situation I described earlier about you know depth and plans will will go into that reasonableness calculation um, you know other. Other documents, obviously, photos, incident reports, locate tickets, um, um, uh, construction plans, uh, uh, contracts with 
between generals and, and subcontractors, uh, you know, was there an incentive? Was there an incentive to not excavate safely in, in the in the subcontract? I mean, you know, these footage contracts, um, shoot, maybe you get paid by how much you get into the ground. Um, you know, was there an incentive not to excavate safely? Um, hopefully, I, I haven't seen very many of those uh, recently, not quite as many as there were in the in the early 2000s, um, but uh, you know all of those types of document, you know, past incidents. Um, you know, is is this a repeat offender? Did, you know, did did the person have have reason to know that excavating in this manner would cause damage based upon you know past incidents where they, you know, damaged facilities in that in that same type of scenario. Um, uh, training manuals. Uh, what type of training did the, did the individual crew members um, receive prior to their employment with the with the contractor, and then after their employment with the contractor? Uh, owners' manuals for the equipment they were using. You know, uh, you know, they using a, a Vermeer XYZ. Um, uh, you know, boring rig. That, you know, what, what was the sawn calibrated properly according to the um, you just uh, tons and tons of, of of information you can collect. Not necessarily uh, the most practical types of things to collect. You know, when you're doing an in investigation immediately after a damage, um, but those are the types of things that 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 come in at the end of the day. We've got one uh, from the participants here that uh, goes back to I think some of the things. Uh, Fred talked about about uh, being able to uh, find everything again. Uh, how long should you preserve all this evidence? You know, how how long can it take for a claim to come in? How long can it take for a, a claim to go to trial? I've seen uh, <clears throat> I've seen claims that come in for damage that supposedly happened five years ago. Um, you know, if we get a if a line fails and, and the utility goes and and excavates it to do a repair, uh, they may find that a damage happened at some time in the past. And so going to history of dig tickets to find out who was excavating there, they'll look for who it might have been. And uh, and so that's probably the oldest one I've seen. I mean, you guys that are attorneys probably have a better idea about statutes of limitations on how long something can go, but, um, uh, and it probably varies by state, but um, just as a round figure, five years is what I've seen. Um, I always say if you can keep them forever, that's probably your best, in your best interest, but it's probably not practical. Well, I'll build on what Fred said with an example. Uh, had a case in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, the statute of limitations is six years, and the, the claim or the lawsuit was filed five years and 363 days uh, after the damage incident occurred. And by that point in time, two of the people that were involved were dead. The, uh, the, the person that had done the line locating and marking had died. Uh, the person who had engineered the project uh, had a heart attack and had died. So uh, uh, you, you may want to check in your particular state to see what is the statute of limitations. How long uh, can such a claim come in? Uh, 
Yeah, I just, I just say, I mean, I think Fred's exactly right. I mean, if, if you're looking for a baseline, it'd be the statute of limitations. I mean, it, it, where you, in, in some states where you've got um, uh, particularly claims against um, uh, municipalities where there's a, a tort claims act uh, claim procedure that governs, sometimes those those claims uh, have to be submitted in as, in, in as short as 60 or 90 days. In other states like Wisconsin, Minnesota, and there are some other ones have statutes of limitations that that um, extend out to, to six years. I mean, it, it, statute of limitations is probably um, uh, a good baseline, but you know, as a practical matter, uh, storage is cheap these days. I, I agree with Fred. If you can keep them forever, keep them forever, put them out on the cloud, um, it, it, you know, the days of, of having to, to collect and keep everything on, you know, floppy disks or, or, or little thumb drives are over. Um, are they? It, well, <laughs> I think so. I think so. Okay. Tony's hey, hey, Jim, there, there, there was a good comment in the chat here to go back to what you're preserving, what documents that pre-excavation checklist where the con, and this is especially for the contractor, pre-excavation checklist, have all the utilities responded to the site? So uh, that's a very good document to, to keep for your investigation. Well, coming up on five minutes left here in our meeting, and what I'd like to do is address one more topic, and that's, uh, uh, witnesses at the site and interviewing those witnesses uh, I think the first step we want to talk about is just uh, identifying the important witnesses. How do we go about that? Well, one of the things is uh, identifying who was on your crew. So if it's your employees, who all was present when it happened? Um, those are all important things. The, the equipment operator, certainly, who the supervisor was, if you got laborers, all of those things are important now. Um, if if there are other contractors on the site, uh, a general contractor might have a superintendent. You want that person's name, contact information. Um, in a in an instance like this, those are the uh, important folks to know. The people who are actually had some direct involvement in the job. Um, the, the idea of a third party witness and a damage claim is probably not a useful piece of information, in my opinion. I, I, I would disagree a little bit. I, I think third party, uh, third party witnesses, if you can find them, I mean, they, they won't always be around, but some of those folks, maybe I misunderstood you a little bit, Fred. Some of those folks, you know, other contractors that are out there on site. No, other contractors, I absolutely agree. The problem is if you have a passerby who supposedly saw something, they don't understand what they're looking at or what they saw and they just add confusion to the process. Yeah, I, that's not I, always the case. Like if we investigate an auto accident, sometimes that's not the that's not the case. A third party witness can is often helpful. But in, right. in this situation, you have somebody who doesn't understand what they're looking at. And but th those those disinterested, you know, that, uh, you know, the, the 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 witnesses that that don't have a lot of skin in the game are generally regarded as as probably the most reliable. Yeah. Um, and so if you can identify those folks, um, you're ahead of the game. What are the pros and cons of actually uh, recording or uh, having a witness fill out a written statement? 
Well, we mentioned earlier what people write in vernacular and slang, and sometimes that gets misconstrued. That's it, it, it can be it can be read much differently than the intent when it was written. I guess is my my thought on that one. Uh, if it's my witness, I would just soon not have a a, a written statement. I, uh, if it's somebody else's witness, I, I love written statements. But but I would go back. You know, we talked earlier about um, completing reports. Uh, you know, some of that might fall in the category of a statement. Um, the 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 key is just keep it objective, facts only. Um, you know, gather your information. Avoid you know trying to make your case. Uh, you know, just just gather the facts. Be straightforward. Um, th those types of statements rarely. Um, um, are, are harmful at the end of the day, in, in, in my experience. We have a follow-up question from the how long should I preserve the evidence? Uh, and the question is five years from the damage or five years from the discovery of the damage? Uh, Tony, that's probably a legal question. Yeah. Um, it, a lot of the, I guess a lot of the time, um, you know, like Fred alluded to earlier, I mean, there may be a damage and, and you don't discover it uh, until, uh, you know, six months afterwards. Uh, or in longer. That case, yeah, or longer, exactly. Um, I mean, we have, you know, somebody drives a, a concrete form stake through a, a pulp cable and it takes a while for the for the water to seep in there and start shorting the those copper. I mean, it, it, you know, so I, I guess I, five years from from discovery is, is probably the answer in in ninety nine percent of the the cases. The longer you can hang on to it, the better off you are. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I, that's my take on it too. It's you never know when it's going to come back to get you. Well, Whitney, I think we're coming down to the end here. Uh, do you want to take over? I will. Yeah, thank you, Jim. So um, it looks like we are at time, but if you would like to stay on for a few minutes, we will have a short coffee and questions session to address any additional questions you may have. Please take a moment now to fill out the brief survey that Levi will post in the chat so we can continue to improve these discussions and address topics important to you. On behalf of everyone at Infrastructure Resources, I would like to thank all of our attendees and those who shared thoughts and solutions today, and also a big thank you to our moderator and panelists for sharing their knowledge and insight on the topic. A recording of the town hall will be posted on excavationsafetyalliance.com, where you will also be able to register for next month's town hall on December 8th, titled FIMSA and NTSB Recommendations for Tolerance Zones. Does one size fit all? Please consider joining us in Tampa, Florida, February 14th through the 16th in 2023 for the Global Excavation Safety Conference, where we will have additional discussions and a wide variety of educational opportunities. Global ESC is also your opportunity to have some fun by taking part in the Click Before You Dig Golf Scramble on Friday and our night of networking on Wednesday with hundreds of your industry peers at Splitsville Southern and Social. First time attendees can take advantage of the 811 special, which is more than 30% off the current price. You can do so by going to globalexcavationsafetyconference.com. We will now continue for those who want to participate in our brief coffee and question session. So, Jim, I'll now turn it over to you. Well, uh, at this point, it's up to, I think, the people to uh, 
I ask the questions uh, based on anything we said, or uh, more importantly, I guess, based on things that we may not have covered uh, that you want. So uh, we do have one question left over. Is it, is it actually necessary to keep the actual piece of damaged pipe? And if so, for how long? It's not necessary to keep anything. It's just what puts you in a better uh, position to defend yourself. So whatever evidence you have is uh, is something that adds to the um, the total bulk or the weight of the, the argument you're trying to make. Uh, you know, just generally, the, the reason that you would keep the damaged facility in, in most cases are in those incidents where you would have where there's a dispute as to who caused the damage or how the damage occurred. For example, um, uh, we've got a damaged you know fiber cable. Um, we think it was done with a um, a, a backhoe. Um, uh, somebody claims, look, we were out there. We were we were hand digging. Nobody had a backhoe out there. It couldn't have been damaged with a backhoe. Um, it, it happens rarely, but I've had a couple of cases where I've had to get an expert involved to, to examine the physical damaged cable and, and opine whether or not you could have caused this damage with a, with a hand tool, uh, assuming you're not Paul Bunyan. And, um, uh, you know, and, and, and were the marks on the, on the outer sheath or the, or the pipe or whatever consistent with, with, with marks from an excavator or a backhoe as opposed to, uh, 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 you know, a shovel or a, a pickaxe or, or something like that. Uh, you know, a lot of times the, the whole spoliation of evidence is, is kind of a, a scary thing and, 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 you know, Lawyers were, were a little bit um, uh, overcautious sometimes in that regard. If, if you can keep the, the damaged facility for inspection later, if it ever becomes an issue, you're better off. In the, in the vast majority of cases, though, uh, photographs of that damaged facility are probably going to, um, you know, are going to are going to cover it. Um, I mean, and and obviously, if you've got a, a damage that occurs, we you've got, you've got 300, 300 feet of uh, uh, fiber optic cable wrapped around a drill stem and, and and a photo of it. Is it really necessary to have the you know the pigtail of of fiber cable? Probably not. Well, we'll yeah, but, this, we're relying on you in part. Do we have any more questions from anybody? There is a question about how important do you feel it is to show the dig law violated in the investigation? I'm sort of the opinion that'll come out in the wash. So. I would say it's important for the people to know the dig law. Someone had mentioned that you might want to put that on like your gossipers checklist or something like that. Um, so that way, when you're gathering information like Brian's um, um, measuring tool there, if you knew that the tolerance zone is 24 inches, that would be great. Or if you knew that the the excavator had, for example, dug early, the date, 
that would be you know important stuff to know but yeah it, i agree with fred too though it'll come out the law is the law it's not going to change the fact that you documented in your investigation uh is unless you're trying to establish that you know what the law is like like al said that that's Here's, here's a question. It says uh, that uh, they're specifically directing it to Tony, but I think uh, all of you uh, can chime in on this one. The question is, how important do you feel it is to show that the dig law was violated in the investigation? Uh, of course, correspondingly, uh, from Alan's perspective, perhaps more than mine and Tony's, that it wasn't violated. I'll I'll give you I'll give you my two cents and I'll try to keep it short because I know I talk too much. But uh, there is I, I can't think of a deposition that I've taken of an excavator or or uh, you know a foreman out there on site that I haven't ha asked the question. Doesn't matter what state it is. Have you read the 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 one call statute in this state or that that governs the excavation that you were performing at the time. Uh, keep in mind, uh, I, I'm trying to show that that you did not act like a reasonable excavator would have acted under the circumstances. And is it reasonable to expect that an excavator doing excavation out on a on a on a DOT right of way? know the the one call statutes that are that that govern their activity I, I think it's absolutely and if i can show that me no idea what the one call statute required other than i had to make a call ahead of time um so so i i think it's super important that your folks at least the the foreman the superintendent out there on on site um be familiar with um the 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 one call statutes that that govern and almost every one call and I'll, that's probably an overstatement lots of one calls have excavator guides i mean these little pamphlets kind of a summary i mean it's not the whole statute but i mean put it above your visor in your in your truck and in you know uh, it just you be familiar with it. I I think it's super important. The other the other reason that um, uh, proving or, or 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 disproving compliance with one call statutes comes in. A lot of one call statutes have statutory penalties. So so or stat impose statutory liability. So if I can establish that the one call statute required you to do X Y and Z. And if you didn't do X, Y, and Z as required by the staff, I mean, it's, you know, it's game over. I don't have to show that whether or not your activity was reasonable or not. In some cases, I don't, have, I don't even have to show that your violation of the one call statute caused or contributed to the damage. The mere fact that you violated the one call statute uh, exposes you to strict liability in some states. Not, not every one call statute is like that, um, but yeah. Uh, every case, the, 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 I have a copy of the one call statute that was in effect at the time of the damage in my file. And you should probably have one in yours if you're an excavator as well. It makes Fred's job much easier. All he has to do then is write the check. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. yeah. Tell me who to make it out to. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I think right. that's it on the additional questions. So thank you all for staying on for a few extra minutes. It was a great chat. Thanks, Whitney. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye.